if a doctor thinks estrogen is bad or uses first and second generation hormones, your hormone therapy may work a little bit in the beginning, but it will fizzle out and there will be this exercise wheel of conventional medicine constantly trying to treat the symptoms of your hormone deficiency. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome back to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast, Marie. Today's guest on this episode on menopause prevention, which is episode 47, I have Marie Hoig back for the women's side of things. And Marie, let's start out with telling us a little bit about yourself and what got you into this hormone cascade field. Well, thanks, Tom, for having me. It's always nice to do a podcast with you. As you know, I have, you know, I've been doing this for so long, you know, well beyond 15 years now. I've been uh, working as a clinical hormone coach in a menopause clinic, working with thousands of cisgender and transgender women uh, and men. And um, it's been quite an experience going through these years with the evolution of hormone replacement therapy and the different types of hormone replacement therapies. You know, I started this at more as a patient, like most people who get into a, a, a health field, especially health coaching, where I had very bad menstrual cycles and endometriosis and severe PMDD. You know, felt like a crazy woman until I met a doctor that told me I wasn't crazy. I just didn't have enough estrogen. And so that really piqued my interest because as I've said before on your other shows that I was one appointment away from shock therapy. I had run out of antidepressants and anti-anxiety cocktail medications just so I can get through my days. And, you know, it's just mind-blowing when you realize that you didn't have to live that life all those years and you actually get on some good hormones. Um, but it has been quite a journey. This, you know, didn't happen overnight. Right. Let's go into a little bit about your education and your research regarding the hormones, and then we can move into your clinical background a little bit. But let's start with your education and your research part of this. Well, I tell you, I because I had such great clinical, uh, great clinical response with optimal estrogen dosing. The physician, my physician, and I ended up working together because our careers coincided. When I saw what was going on in this clinic after working for him. I couldn't believe what was happening with the patient. Patients were coming back feeling better than they did the last time they were in. And that was the opposite of most physicians I've consulted uh, in their practices. And so I suggested, I said, hey, you know, and this is like 15 plus years ago. I said, hey, do you have any sort of credentialing in this? Maybe you should go get some sort of training or a certification to help make you a specialist in this field because you're pretty good. And he said, hey, uh, yeah, that's, I'm interested in that, and uh, I'd like it if you did it with me. And so, you know, I felt very privileged and fortunate going through the fellowships at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and the Institute for Functional Medicine and the Scripps Center for Integrative Holistic Medicine. 
it's really given me quite an education. Though I'm not a physician, I know there was so much I didn't understand, but there was a lot I was able to. And so we still continue to be conference junkies in anti-aging medicine and hormone health. So my, my education has been extensive and the research follows just based off of what I've seen. I wanted to know more. You know, what is it about estrogen and why is it that everybody's afraid of estrogen? And why is it that our patients feel better when they have adequate amounts circulating in their blood, women? And I couldn't understand this disconnect with watching the clinical efficacy of adequate hormone dosing and what I was researching. And so, uh, but now the research I'm finding, I'm getting, there's a lot of research out there that supports adequate dosing estrogen, even low-dose estrogen, the benefits of it. So. I am thrilled with the research that I'm doing and my current field of research right now in these past few months has been when women are pregnant, estrogen deficient and what happens to the baby in utero uh, with gender assignment and uh, transgenerational diseases like PCOS. So I'm just, I'm real fascinated. There isn't a lot out there, but there's some, so that excites me. That's an interesting subject. It's a whole other topic. It really is because, you know, when I started a transgender clinic and I, you know, I just had the privilege of uh, working with some great patients in the clinic, there's just been a boom of, in this generation of transgender patients and, and the gender neutral generation. And it's just piqued my interest in, in the doctors I work with, you know, this has to have something to do with hormones in some regard. Right, right. Um, because so much is passed on from the mother. And when a mother is estrogen deficient or her gut microbiome is dysbiotic, she hands that down to her children, the endocrine deficiencies and the health of the gut microbiome. And so, you know, this really, you know, getting into really preparing to have children is a whole other topic. You know, what a woman should do, you know, get your hormones sound, get an estrogen system, clean up the health of your gut microbiome. This is what you're handing down to your children. And I'm not so sure how much a woman can really change the damaged endocrine system that was hand, was transgenerational, right. but there, uh, how much ovarian preservation you can do, but eating a clean and healthy diet and a good lifestyle hmm. certainly contribute to the health of the gut microbiome, which really affects the brain function and uh, mental health, as you know, when kids uh, right. grow up. Let's talk about your clinical background before we dig into uh, menopause. One of the best jobs I ever have or had is this one with being a, a clinical hormone coach, where you see a woman coming in completely broken mentally and physically, where she can't cope and the depression is severe and she can't lose weight and her body's falling apart and she can't connect. And then you watch her through a transition like a metamorphosis as the hormones are optimized, as you know, we have to titrate those hormones up to that sweet spot. You can't just load a woman up from any hormone and call it good. When that's not the way her body functions, you really have to titrate that dose up. And so listening to women along this process communicate with you what they're feeling and the, these transitional uh, milestones that they go through is just so rewarding. And it's so gives me an idea about, gosh, when estrogen is in this range, this is how women feel. And when you hear thousands of patients communicating to you what's happening to them along the process of getting their hormones optimized 
personal sweet spot that works for them by whatever method of delivery of hormones. There isn't just one way to get a person to the sweet spot. There are several ways, but it's, it needs to be in a titration format. But it's been life-changing. It really has. And it's just really, and this is what's really interested me with research with estrogen deficiency diseases. Because what I'm finding is these things just really, these mental and behavioral health issues and physical issues just really don't exist in most women whose hormones are optimal. And so it, it, it has been fascinating and it's been a privilege to me that women are very forthcoming with how they feel with this. And it's, it's just, it's nice to be able to lead women along that path to that sweet spot. And I mean, I, there's a lot of women out there that I'm sure are appreciative of that. And, you know, I'm, that they really are misguided in a lot of ways by their physicians. I mean, I see a lot of things on my end where, you know, you're, because most physicians, be, let's be honest, that, that, they go by TSH, which is a producing the pituitary to tell the body to produce other things. But, you know, and so most physicians, when they run labs and they look at TSH and it really is not telling you anything. Yeah, you really do need some behind the scenes. I mean, the TSH is, is good just to kind of give you an idea about that I look deeper. Patients with, you know, thyroid issues from the get-go, you always want to check those behind the scenes. It is one of the hormones that we check, too, because estrogen has a very intimate relationship with thyroid. And there's a lot of similar symptomology between thyroid function and estrogen deficiency. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting how modern medicine is evolving. And, and doctors do, they don't know what to look for. But a lot of the reasons for that is, I mean, how many doctors have you heard of that has learned all about how to manage thyroid in medical school? Right. None. I mean, right. especially estrogen. Doctors are purposely taught to be afraid of estrogen to keep women in a state of estrogen deficiency so they can write prescriptions for medications to treat the symptoms of it. Right. The, really addressing the root cause of these things is, is paramount to get people well. And pretty soon women are going to stop running from physician to physician, these doctors that just treat the symptoms of low estrogen. It's like they're not getting any relief. Right. And they will call these doctors and say, well, I treat you know, menopause as an estrogen deficiency disease or perimenopause as an estrogen deficiency disease. Let's get to the, the cause of all these things and fix it at its core so you don't spend the other two-thirds of your life mentally and physically falling apart. <laughs> all right, let's dig into menopause. First question I have is why keep a woman from menopause? Yeah, you know I'm a big fan of menopause prevention. Uh, I, I, I never... You know, would really uh, believe it if I if it wasn't something I was witnessing, and that's exactly what happens in the clinic when you give a woman the right hormones, dosed in the right amounts, and administered in the right manner. Is if you have to figure, you have to understand how estrogen affects the mind and body of a woman, and estrogen really affects every function in the female body from head to toe. It affects. Well, every cell down to the nucleus. There isn't one function that isn't dependent upon healthy amounts of estrogen to do its job to its fullest capacity. So when it becomes deficient, no matter the age or what causes the deficiency, women will feel it in their mind, their brain. They'll see it in their behavior. They'll feel it in their body, uh, the way they behave and interact, interact with other people. Estrogen affects our eyesight smell, our touch, the way we think, 
how we respond to others, how our body breaks down, and how our mind works. It affects our hair, skin, skin quality, whether we're going to be fat or skinny, if we sleep, or what energy level we have. So when women lose their estrogen, their mind, their body, and their behaviors become dysfunctional. So that's why old women and women with ovarian dysfunction, no matter how old they are, they just go crazy. They're hard to be around. Their bodies fall apart. They get aches, pains. They get sick. They get allergies. Uh, their gut, they get gut problems because estrogen dictates the health of the gut almost as much as food does. And, uh, and then a dysbiotic gut will shut down the ovarian production too. But what, these women are difficult to be around because they just don't feel good. And so, and this is what we would call hypoestrogenic, a woman that is, who is, has hypoestrogen in a state of hypoestrogenism. She's not producing enough estrogen. And so women that are hypoestrogenic are guaranteed to not only be depressed, but darkly depressed with feelings of being hopeless and in states of deep despair. They also have anxiety, social isolation, and that goes along with loneliness. And they get this deep loneliness and isolation. And so they tend to be also, they're pretty incapable of coping and handling things that come their way and, and, and pulling information up her head, you know, asking them a question and having them be able to recall information. It's very difficult to make that connection. They don't like to be touched. They avoid intimacy, emotional and sexual or otherwise. They just can't deal. And so hypoestrogenism or estrogen deficiency really refers to a lower than normal level of estrogen, the primary main sex hormone in women. I mean, this is the hormone that tells women, like you've heard me say before, whether they want to live or die. And so when women don't have estrogen, they just feel horrible and they want to die and their body falls apart and they lose their menstrual cycle. When women have healthy amounts of estrogen, they maintain a healthy menstrual cycle. And this is how we know if a woman is relatively healthy, is this menstrual cycle. Okay. So hypoestrogenism can be reversed if you can restore or maintain an, uh, a healthy menstrual cycle. So a good way to know, as you've heard me say many times, a good way to know if a woman is estrogen deficient or not is the health of her menstrual cycle. Is it regular? Is there symptomology, cramps, mood swings? migraines, headaches, sugar cravings, carb cravings. I mean, it's like, well, I don't know. I, why would a woman want to be in this state for right. two years of her life? I mean, why wouldn't you want to avoid this? And you can, you know, clearly, we now live in a day. I mean, Dr. Robert Wilson, who wrote the book Feminine Forever, talked about this. I mean, this is really where I heard about this, is this menopause prevention. As soon as I read it in his book, I'm like, what? You can do what? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, sign me up. Right. And and that's just been, you know, I've been in a state of menopause prevention. You know, and I've seen women go into a state of menopause prevention. You give a woman healthy estrogen and they restore their menstrual cycles, then they're not going into that mental, physical, mental and physical decline. They don't have the same behavioral issues or coping issues. So it just depends. I mean, I don't know. If you were a woman, would you want to go into menopause? I mean, it's like I, I, you know, I, 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 
Yeah, I don't know. I can't answer that question because A, I'm not a woman, and B, I don't, you know, I think, you know, I I wouldn't want to go into the depression. I wouldn't want to feel like that. But again, there's a lot of women go through unhealthy menstrual cycles. Well, then chances are their estrogen's low. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, those two correlate. And that's right. what doctors aren't taught. They should, you know, doctors should be asking these questions in their new patient appointments, their initial appointment with the patients. Tell me about your period. You know, tell me about the crazy. You know, doctors are just quick to write prescriptions for antidepressant and anti-anxiety medications. Uh, I will not disagree with that. They hand that stuff out like candy in the candy store. Oh, no, yeah, they do. They're all constantly writing them, but they're not addressing the root causes where, where it's coming from. Right. You know, they're just very quick to write. You know, it's like, oh, you have depression? Here, take this. It's like, but wait, but I can't. I've got blood clots that I'm giving birth to every month. Are we not going to address my menstrual cycle? It's like, <laughs> oh, well, you the OBGYN for that. You know, it's like, you know, there's just this disconnect with a, a woman's true body with, with what physicians are being taught. You know, this whole disease management approach just doesn't work very well for women or men. Right. And they really don't, when they're handing out the, the antidepressants, they're not addressing any downstream effects of the pill that they're handing out either. Oh, which creates more broken ovaries right. and more ovarian dysfunction and creating a, you know, more severe state of, you know, hypoestrogenism. I mean, it's like, you know, and you have to ask yourself, why are these doctors being kept in the dark? Why, why isn't this being discussed in medical school? Why aren't we using, you know, restoring estrogen as first-line therapy to most of these? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Why aren't they discussing that? Well, why do you think, Tom? Money. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made at managing symptomology. And women, they have a lot of symptoms. I mean, they have a lot of symptoms. I I can't tell you the last time I've been on an ant. Well, I can tell you, you know, before I had my hormones balanced. But I was told that I was going to be depressed for the rest of my life, severely depressed the rest of my life, and that I would need to always be on medication or get some sort of shock-type treatment or those types of things (laughs) to function. And and, and that's just for survival. That's not, and nobody even said anything that I'd feel good. Right. And that in and of itself is depressing. Because I wasn't who I felt I was on the inside. I just felt like I was just this disease of depression. And then the anxiety that accompanies that, where you just can't depend on yourself because you can't cope. Right. You know, it's horrible to be, you know, in that place. And um, and I spent many years that way. And a lot of women do. And they're suffering. And they shouldn't have to. And there will be a time in a movement the women will get the right information and they'll be put on the right hormones and there will be a movement a demanding for adequate dosing estrogen. No more of this symptoms treating estrogen deficiency symptoms with these toxic drugs and treatments that create more dysfunction in our brain and body. This is a very sensitive subject for me because, right. you know, I felt like this was my life and it is a dark, lonely place when you start thinking that you're better off not being here. And that's not a good place to be. And, you know, those things just don't come to mind when women have enough estrogen. And to your point, that is why we do, that I do podcasts like this, 
so that the word gets out that, that there's a better way. Yeah, there, there really is. I mean, there are several things that cause severe depression, uh, but on the top of that list, I have to say estrogen deficiency. Right. Being in a state of hypoestrogenism, really, it, it, it coincides with, you know, it's indicative of depression. It's just, it's that would have been one of the things I would look for. And it's one of the things that uh, is in our teaching curriculum for physicians is, you know, you need to ask your patients about their menstrual cycle. And this is going to leave your entire uh, treatment plan for your patient. Okay. So how do you keep a woman from going into menopause? Well, the goal is to prevent. Okay. You know, we want to prevent. So, you know, and there's some doctors that talk about, oh, you can take hormones in a certain window, you know, and that window is like post-minute when a woman has already lost all of her estrogen and given low doses to treat the horrible symptoms she's going to get until her brain completely shrivels up to nothing and she surrenders. So that's not really the window that we look for. The window that we feel is best is while anytime a woman is estrogen deficient, who's post-pubescent, you know, if a young woman has, has a horrible menstrual cycle and she's in her 20s, well, the goal is to regulate that menstrual cycle and maintain that menstrual cycle indefinitely. But the majority of women that I see are perimenopausal women in their somewhere between 30 and 40 whose bodies are right are in the beginning of the decline of, as the hormones decline in, in women's 30s. And uh, the goal is to really prevent the decline from happening. So if you restore hormones that mimic a woman in a state of reproductive prime, then a woman doesn't go into a decline. She doesn't go through the, menopause, the perimenopausal transition into the cessation of menses that leads into menopause. So if you can restore with a good hormone regime, uh, the right hormones, like you've heard me say, dosed in the right amounts, administered in the right manner, coupled with the right diet and lifestyle to enhance the clinical efficacy of those hormones, you could maintain healthy reproductive state. Well, even you won't be able to reproduce because a woman can't get more eggs. Once you're out of eggs, you're out of eggs. But you can restore a healthy menstrual cycle indefinitely for a woman, and it's easier to do that before they actually lose all their estrogen and peter out losing their menstrual cycle. So the woman without the menstrual cycle is a woman without estrogen. Okay. And so our goal is to restore that state of reproduction through restoring the menstrual cycle in a healthy manner, not like what women, when I tell women we're going to restore their menstrual cycle, they freak out. Right. I was going to say, well, I'll tell you who freaks out. Not all of them do. And it's funny because you can tell women when you say, when I, you can tell the women who have been estrogen deficient for a long time, because when I say that they freak out, I've had women get up and walk out the door before because they had such horrible menstrual cycle periods. They're painful and horrible and mood swings are crazy. But the women that um, who have maintained healthy levels of estrogen most of their life, they just kind of shrug, oh, okay, you know, like it's nothing. And so it's kind of interesting, the response, like, oh, my gosh, no. You know, it's like, hey, 
it's not it's not supposed to be this kind of menstrual cycle. It's supposed to be a light to moderate flow with a peak at day three, shutting off by day five with residual blood, day six and maybe seven, without incident, without the crazy, without the bloat, without the lower back, without pain, without the blood clots and the cramps, the mood swings, all those things. Those are all symptoms of low estrogen. I just mean that there just isn't enough estrogen. And so that's the goal is to is to restore that healthy menstrual cycle. That's how you can keep a woman from going yeah. into menopause. And you can restore a woman who's been post-menopause to varying degrees. It depends on how long they've been without estrogen. Okay. So you can start hormones in a woman at any time. Uh, but post-menopausal women, uh, if you're not, you can't, you don't get the same effect because once the body and brain has done its shriveling, it's very difficult to resurrect those tissues in the brain. Okay. The goal is to avoid that shriveling up of the brain and the tissues. Okay. But I'll tell you, it's it's better. Postmenopausal women benefit significantly with being on hormones that are just just right to the point of having that menstrual cycle. And those women are not the crazy ones; they're the ones that <laughs> with a smile and a store and it pleasing. Estrogen makes them happy. It's all those yeah, I'm not even going to go where I was going to go, but... Well, you know, it is, that's a hard thing to respond to because there's a lot of women that are not happy. Right. And a lot of women have malcontent and nothing makes them happy. Even if they think if they achieved something, they would be happy. No matter how hard they try or they get that or they, this promotion, this car, this house, this vacation, this whatever, keeping up with the Kardashians. I mean, it's just not until a woman gets enough estrogen that she's truly content. It's just, it's the anti-malcontent hormone is estrogen. Estrogen calms the mind of a woman. It's neuroprotective. It huh. gives her a sense of peace and contentment with her world and her surroundings, especially when it, when it brings back the self-esteem, self-worth, self-confidence, and the ability to handle things. And when you have all those things together and feeling good at the same time, it's good. It's, Women just kind of go about living their lives, living the lives they actually want, instead of trying to be that person deep inside. That person comes out like watering that person with estrogen, and then they blossom into the woman who they know that they are. They know they are, hmm. but nobody knows because they're dealing with all the crazy that estrogen deficiency brings. That's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, the big joke between you know when I remember my ex-wife would be going through her periods and. and be crazy it was like all right i gotta get out of the house and yeah i mean a guy can only handle so much of that tom right. i mean it is it, it does get crazy and let me tell you she doesn't like it she probably didn't like it either women don't like behaving right. that way we don't sign up for that we don't want that that goes against how we feel on the inside and we can't explain these things i mean you can't control the things that come out of your mouth when you don't have estrogen i mean it's very difficult and some of those things can be very bitter and sharp and damaging and it's really hard for some people to get past some of the horrible and horrific things women say with their sharp tongue you know women with estrogen they don't just they don't have a sharp tongue i'm not saying that they're pushovers but they're just not responsive like that they're you're just this that is just this it's almost like a state of survival that it's just like like they're just clawing at trying to just get through the day and anybody that crosses them it just is is in the crosshairs. Right. And then when it happens, 
believe me, women, they'll go off into the closet in the fetal position and absolutely fall apart in these crying spells because they're behaving in ways that they are not them. And they don't understand why they're acting this way. And they feel that. And at the same time, they're doubled over in pain with menstrual cramps. You know, and they can't stand erect because they're just so doubled over with PMDD symptomology. And this just doesn't have to exist. And so when I look at myself like your ex-wife, I mean, it's like a lot of women have gone through that. Most women have gone through that. And I feel bad for that. And I've apologized to my exes now that I have adequate levels of estrogen. I don't have mood swings. You know, my my emotions and responses are very appropriate to the situations at hand. You know, I, I, I could, you know, do my stuff, but you always know what you're going to get. You always know it's leading it. I mean, you can clearly provoke me, but it's not going to be so completely outrageous that the lamps are going to come falling down and things across <laughs> the room. You know, that's those rages, those those just in I don't, and I know you live long enough to see a woman go into a rage. Oh yeah, a few, just a yeah. few in my time, just a few. I te- well, I tell you that is. Having that loss of control for me was such a loss. And, and the way that people looked at me when I would do that, and I felt this helplessness because I felt like I couldn't control it, but I also saw the impact it had. And that made me feel worse about myself. And trying to repair that damage is very difficult because people can only love you so much. I mean, they can only tolerate so much. And the people that will just love you till the bitter end, they'll do it from a distance. And then you end up lonely and isolated from friends and family. And even pets will run from you. So, I, you know, it's a horrible place to be. And it's hard not to tear up when I say that because it's just it's a, it's a horrible, isolating life that most women are subjected to. Right. And, well, and I've known guys in the past that track their their spouse's cycles so they know when they're going to go fishing and they shouldn't have to tolerate it they should be actually a support source encouraging them to buy good healthy foods and cleaning up their diet and encouraging them to exercise with them i mean they can certainly be a partner in this to varying degrees and as you know you can't tell your partner anything (laughs) (laughs) well let's before we i've got a lot more questions here but before we go into the hormone sweet spot. Let's talk a touch base on one thing that we haven't really touched base on yet, and that's the importance of your gut health, which you just hit on the head when you yeah. said that. And it, it, I mean, it's very important to have a healthy gut in all yeah. of this. And you know, it's I have to say, it's about time this conversation is being had. Though there have been some spearheading gurus over the years who give lectures on the health of the gut, but really the field of anti-aging medicine and, it, and functional medicine is really coming to the forefront on this gut health and the health of the gut microbiome. That gut microbiome, if people understand it, you know, it's a living thing. It is the largest ecosystem in this universe, and it has been handed down thousands of years generation after generation after generation. So when you have a series of you know transgenerational gut dysbiosis that's handed down, handed down, handed down, you know that 
that the health of the gut really dictates the carbohydrate cravings, the sugar cravings. It dictates hormone levels. A dysbiotic gut shuts ovaries down and creates dysbiosis and vice versa. Estrogen deficient women, estrogen, estrogen deficiency creates gut dysbiosis. And so really taking a look at all the things that affect the health of the gut microbiome. And for your listeners who don't know a lot about this whole gut health thing, I, to simplify it, you know, you have healthy bacteria in your gut and you have good bacteria in your gut. And the goal is to have more healthy bacteria, a diverse healthy bacteria. And we do need some bacteria, but just a little bit, you know, like like a, a garnish on a plate, not a lot uh, compared to the meal. So when people eat foods like, oh, for example, pasteurized milk, we put our patients on raw milk. Pasteurization takes out all that good bacteria that feeds and makes the good bacteria grow. And the only bacteria that's left is the bad bacteria. So drinking unpasteurized milk actually waters that bad bacteria in the gut like a weed. But people get so bloated, you know, when they eat citrus or people who drink flat water and get nauseous, that's one of the signs of dysbiosis. And so people with a dysbiotic gut have a hard time drinking regular flat water. They usually go with something with carbonation because they can tolerate it. But the health of that gut just dictates disease and inflammation. You know, so there's just, there's, it's extremely complex. And uh, but there's a lot of great research out there, but it certainly does affect the hormone levels in both men and women. And so we don't even approach optimizing hormones until we discuss uh, preparing that gut for hormone replacement therapy. Right. We found that when women have a severe dysbiosis and you give them hormones, they're going to feel bad for the first few months. Uh, they're going to feel good, but they'll have some symptomology. They're going to get bloated. They're going to get breast tenderness. They may gain some weight because they're not able to detoxify their estrogen appropriately because of dysbiosis. And they don't have regular bowel movements, so they're reabsorbing the estrogen that's in their stool, in their gut, and in their tissues, reabsorbing it, and they continue to create an estrogen dominance effect. And I didn't mean to go off on a tangent on that. Right. But that all works together. So... You know, we no longer just give patients hormones without first addressing the gut. This right. is something more than a clinic. It's just so women, the efficacy of adequate dosed hormones is dependent upon the health of the gut microbiome of the patient. So that's why we have to address it. So patients that come in that have eaten nothing but farm to table foods with plenty of animal fats and uh, unpasteurized dairies and uncured meats and fermented foods, those types of things. That really nurtures the gut and helps balance out the gut microbiome. So when right. you give these hormones, you know, they're just, they work so much better and they're more clinically effective and they get to their sweet spot a lot better. All right, let's, sweet spot, let's go there. What is a hormone sweet spot? What is that? Well, for us, for me, it's a, it's a clinical destination. It's, it's, it's a place um, it's true hormone balancing. It's a, uh, it's when your hormones are properly balanced. And I'm not sure if there's very many people that can tell you what does that mean. You know, like, can anyone tell you what it means to be hormonally balanced? Like, what does that mean? I you think know, it's different for everybody. 
It is, but how does a woman know when she's hormonally balanced? Like, what's that criteria? Like, have you ever have you ever known a woman say, "Oh yeah, I'm balanced. My hormones are balanced. I feel good." Nobody, nobody other than you. Well, <laughs> well, that's because they are. Right. I mean, I, and 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 there's a measuring tool for that, and you know, and this is what we've learned over the years. You know, we didn't just we're not just sitting around, you know, putting patients hormones on patients and doing nothing. And it, people have responses when you give them healthy hormones. There are things that happen to them, and there is a clinical algorithm to get a person to their hormone sweet spot. And it just depends on the type of hormone replacement therapy that you use. For me, what I consider my hormone sweet spot is when we measure clinical indicators with blood serum levels. And so this is what, how we determine the sweet spot is how does the patient feel? What are the clinical indicators? And where are the hormones? And so the handful of hormones that we monitor and supplement, there are particular ranges that we found over the years that women just do their best. And when women fall out of this range, we see what happens to them. And when they are maintained in this range, we see what happens. And when it's too high, we see what happens. And so there is a sweet spot. And when women have their estrogen is low, they'll feel it. And when it's too high, they won't feel good either. And so there is this sweet spot for most women. It's in clinical range that we measure mostly estradiol, FSH, and some other labs. And we monitor the symptomology along the way through the process to the sweet spot. So there is a dosing titration that takes place with the hormones that leads to a, a clinical goal. And most women do well in the clinical goal. So that's where we shoot for first. But some women don't need as much to get to that goal. And their range may be different. But most women 80 to 90 percent of women do real well with a particular range and then so the, the clinician that really understands hormone dosing will understand how to adjust the doses in the women in other ranges and there are just some women that hormones just don't work i mean it's just there is a small percent there's, i'd have to say there's probably a five to seven percent that no matter what you do for your patient it's just not going to work and to, for, for different reasons okay we see, to answer your question, what is the hormone sweet spot and how do you get there? Well, the hormone sweet spot is when a woman can't imagine feeling any better than they do. And they have very few cl negative clinical indicators. And their blood work concurs with that range that women tend to do well in. And so that's how we determine the sweet spot. Okay. Is there an optimal range or is it just based on individuality? It's both. We found, you know, you know, when you're working with several thousand women over the years and you're matching up clinical indicators with blood work, you kind of see, like I told you, our, our, you know, our, when we first started, we had just a, a basic symptoms questionnaire that women rate their, you know, 18 to 20 different clinical symptoms from zero to four, from like migraines, mood swings, depression, anxiety, those top clinical indicators of estrogen deficiency. When those women fill those forms out every time they come in, you see a change in these numbers. And each time they fill out one of those questionnaires and we take labs, we correspond those. And they're very much in real time. You can really correspond real well 
with those ranges, and I know I'm not making sense here for a moment. We know that most women tend to do well when their FSH is suppressed under five. We also know that women do real well when their estrogen is maintained, their estradiol is somewhere maintained, depending on where you take the blood work. If you take estrogen at its peak on day 12, most women tend to do real well somewhere between 350 and 550. And I know that's what works for me. There's times when, I mean, there were times when I maintained my estrogen somewhere between six and 800, but most women tend to do well in this range. And, but some women require less um, and feel good with a range that's below that or a range that's actually above that. But, you know, the majority of our patients, we look at that particular range. All right. We discussed the reference ranges for hormones and but I also want to dig into a little bit about the four generations. So we've, I mean, we've touched base on them, but the fourth generation is where we're headed. I want to touch base before we move forward because we're going to talk about Wiley Protocol coming up, but I want to touch base on the four generations. So could you go into that for me, please? Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. It's a term I coined only to describe to patients the different types of HRT in our office. Because women will come in saying, oh, I'm on hormones. Well, you know, not all HRT is the same. And we've worked with every type of HRT on the planet with the exception of uh, pellet therapy, of which you and I have gone into before. And to really understand the differences in these HRT, I believe it's important for women to understand so they can find a doctor that does the type of hormone replacement therapy that they think they might need. And so this is why I broke this up. So first-generation HRT is what I would consider the old-school hormones. The Premarin, Crampro, the synthetic hormones uh, designed to treat the symptoms of estrogen deficiency with low doses. It's administered in a static format, meaning the patient takes the same, same dose every day. And the goal is to have the patient take it for the shortest amount of time. So these are your synthetic hormones, including uh, birth control pills that doctors think birth control pills are hormones. Uh, <laughs> um, it just drives me now. I'm on, I'm on birth control. Uh, I'm on, what hormones? Birth control? Like, honey, you're not on hormones. You're in chemical menopause. Exactly. <laughs> Second generation HRT is, is the differentiating factor. The biggest one here is the bioidentical hormones, the compounded creams, the plant-derived hormones that are derived from a Mexican wild yam. And though these are not, you know, they're considered natural hormones and bioidentical, the term bioidentical means that the molecular structure mimics that of a human molecular structure. So there is some synthesizing that takes place with bioidentical hormones so that we can match that plant molecule with the human molecule so that the women's body thinks it's its own. And so this is the biggest differentiator in this generation. And this is where you have the compounded creams. There are some bioidentical hormones uh, made by pharmaceutical companies like uh, Evamist, uh, Estrazorb, even the patches, sprays, gels, suppositories. And these are all low-dose hormones designed to treat the symptoms of estrogen deficiency. Again, with the the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time, but uh, nobody knows what that dose is and how long that time is uh, or when you adjust that dose. Um, though they do say adjust the dose according to the patient's symptoms, but it's all low dosing. And so there tends to be this static dosing, same dose every day. So there tends to be, this is where the, what I call crapshoot HRT, where 
women are seeking out doctors that do bioidentical hormones, but there's no real formal education or training in how to use them. And so women are just running from doctor to doctor trying to find a doctor who might know how to do it better than the other. But this, this mindset of keeping the hormones low forever and the same dose every day just fizzles out receptors and we just don't see good clinical efficacy. We just, they stop working um, in about you know four to six, sometimes nine months if a woman is lucky because they're just it doesn't trigger a receptor response. And this, this receptor response is one of the biggest differentiators in the third generation HRT is dosing the hormones not in a static format but in a rhythmic format that mimics the natural physiology of a woman's hormone the hormone itself so you would dose the hormones according to that particular hormone type cycle so the dose at day 12 of estrogen is going to be different than the dose at day 18 and day 21 and so on and so forth this peak at day 12 if the dose is correct um, and the dose is high enough for long enough, then you trigger a receptor response for not only estrogen receptors, but for progesterone receptors, thyroid receptors, testosterone, growth hormone, cortisol, melatonin, insulin. So estrogen regulates insulin. And it's because of this receptor response that you get here at this peak. And then the luteal peak and the progesterone peak in the luteal phase downregulate these receptors so women can shed the lining of their uterus. So this is the, the biggest differentiating factor as well as how much is dosed, how much is dosed, how it's dosed, and when it's dosed. And so the goal is to mimic the natural hormone physiology of the hormones the women are taking. And then and one of the brands of this particular generation is the Wiley protocol. There are other doctors who have, you know, tried to manipulate this protocol and have similar or have had to make up their own rhythmic dosing because they see how clinically effective it is and they come up with their own. So there's some independent doctors doing it as well as the Wiley protocol is one of the brand names. And then the fourth generation is really a deviation or really derived from a Wiley protocol. What we found using the Wiley protocol, like I was telling you before, we've been using, we use every method of HRT, including the Wiley protocol in the clinic. And so we've seen the clinical efficacy of all these generations of hormones and how, how they work uh, and when they stop working and why they stop working. And uh, we found that the YAD protocol has quite a few clinical flaws to it, and we found that it was only effective if we dose the hormones according to the recommendations that Wiley insists doctors to use, then it only works on 20% of our patient base. And so there aren't too many successful Wiley practices across town because of this. And doctors like the doctor I, and the clinicians I've worked with at the menopause clinic you know, we paid attention to these clinical flaws and found ways around most of those flaws. And, you know, and we did go to Wiley with this, asking her to make the adjustments so that we could use her hormones on more of our patients. But she uh, took offense and said, no way, Jose, uh, in a few choice words. And we said, well, we can't keep saying that we use your protocol when, you know, if we 
because she did she does threaten she threatens to sue doctors for patent infringement if they don't prescribe her hormones the way that she has the patent set up. And we just said, okay, we just can't use her protocol anymore. So we have to use our own. And so that's where we came up. We fixed with the clinical flaws that we fixed, most of them anyway, that we get better clinical results from a fourth generation HRT. And that's where that was the birth of Panacea HRT. Okay. It, you know, is this fourth generation HRT. And we are not the only people who come up with our own protocol out of the Wiley protocol. Right. You know, she, she can stay with, she can keep her protocol, but other doctors who see, because she's never took this to the clinic before she really launched it, her protocol. Right. So then these doctors that are working in the clinic using it saying, hey, wait a second, this is where it fails and this is how I think it can be fixed. Well, she's not interested. So what are doctors supposed to do? Right. Especially these you know, spearheading doctors, you know, like Dr. Meehan and Dr. Nagel and other practitioners who say, hey, I'm not going to keep my 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 women, my patients uh, estrogen deficient. So let me give them what they truly need, because this is where I see it, it clinically. You actually see the patient in front of you saying, this is how I feel. And these are the labs. And so you can't really argue with that. Hmm. And so that's, that's a lot. In a very large nutshell, uh, right. the of HRT. So I hope I explained that. Yes, it does. As you may or may not know, this podcast is proudly sponsored by Ageforce.com, bringing traditional health supplementation to the modern era. For thousands of years, people have been using skin application methods to naturally and efficiently absorb food, nutrients, and various other substances to support their health and fitness. Age Force is no different, delivering breakthrough, time-release skin patch products that maintain the integrity of traditional health enhancement methods. Age Force helps people maximize their HGH levels, manage their weight, control inflammation, boost amino acids in the body, increase intake of vitamin D, boost libido, enhance memory and focus, energy levels, melatonin, testosterone, and we could go on, but we'd be here all day. A quick visit to the Age Force website will show you streams of five-star reviews proving Age Force's ability to change lives. Transdermal application differs from oral in that the vitamins and minerals are delivered directly to the bloodstream, a much more efficient way to boost your health and get the maximum dosage possible. Visit ageforce.com to learn more. Here's a question. This goes back to second generation, but these are used a lot by a lot of physicians, oh, yeah. and that's pellets. Oh. I know that's my, <laughs> exactly. It's like, really? Yeah. I, but, I, you know, from my point of view is you can't just put something in somebody's body expected to dissolve on a timely fashion. Or dissolve when you want it to dissolve. Yeah, that whole concept is a very male-driven. I have to say, let's just load them up. If it, what I I call them a load them up and let them fall method of HRT because you, you can't just like fill up a woman with estrogen like it's gas in a gas tank. I mean, and just think that she's going to be okay for three to four months. Right. And 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 then pellet therapy for women is not about estrogen. It actually creates estrogen dominance, what people don't understand. 
is when you load a woman up with testosterone, thyroid, and progesterone, and you just give it to them like that, nobody is addressing the main sex hormone of this woman. It's like giving a man loading up, oh, we're we're not going to give you testosterone. We're going to load you up with estrogen (laughs) and progesterone and thyroid and see how that guy handles it. I mean, it's like that... When you give a woman such a large dose of testosterone, it changes the brain into thinking she's a man. This is what we do with transgender patients. You've got to give them enough of the hormone of the sex that they say that they are. And when you do that, it changes the brain. It, It actually sends signals throughout the body to make those changes into that gender. And it just... You know, it just pellet therapy really has me fired up because it really makes a mess of women. Their hair falls out by the handfuls. They become very difficult to live with because they get into a state of fight or flight because not only are they more estrogen deficient than they were, this type of HRT puts these women in a state of estrogen dominance because they don't have enough circulating estrogen in their blood to naturally detoxify it. Then these women get constipated. They can't poop. And then they start to reabsorb the estrogen. And they usually have dysbiotic gut because they crave carbohydrates and sugar and they're not sleeping. And they eat these foods to cope as well as they're craving them, which creates further dysbiosis. And then with this dysbiosis and the lack of pooping, the you know phase three detoxification, then women are reabsorbing these estrogens they can't get rid of into their body, creating more estrogen dominance and more and the symptoms that go with estrogen dominance. So this makes a woman totally crazy. And so to me, I, 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 you've heard me say this before, and I know that malpractice is a very strong word, but this just does not make sense. If somebody were to, that would be so cruel to, to load a woman up with the opposite sex a male main sex hormone and not address my main sex hormone and creating this, this response and how these doctors are not listening to their patients and follow-up. It's like, when's the follow-up appointment? I mean, when do they listen to the patients complain about, Oh my gosh, I'm everything in my life and my world is falling apart, including my mind and body. Like, I don't know what these doctors are saying to these women. Oh, hang in there. I mean, I don't understand what they're saying. And I don't know, understand how they can retain these patients, to be honest. But I know these doctors, I go to the same conferences, they are sold. There's a lot of money putting into the selling of the appellate therapy. And it's one of the only HRT systems that has training and education. So I know that that's a big draw for physicians. They're like, oh, okay, well, it sounds like you guys have it all down. Really? Where, where did this method of HRT come from? And who... It wasn't from a woman and it wasn't from a hormonally balanced woman because mm. a hormonally balanced woman knows where that needs they would to be. be doing that right yeah uh, yeah that'd be the last thing i'd re- as a hormonally balanced woman i would never recommend that to anybody right. not even to a man and that's just i i don't see personally i don't see how it could possibly work without failing me either just by, the, just by the logics of it. Over and over and over and over. And they come in saying, I'm on teletherapy. And we're like, oh, we're so sorry. You know? Well, it's the go- it seems to be like the go-to for these days. Because they're sold. These doctors are sold. The doctors right. are very vulnerable at these conferences. 
they are searching for ways to balance hormones. And when you have people spending thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in sponsorship advertising saying, hey, we'll teach you. I mean, the, the teletherapy booths are large if you go to these. They're, they spend a lot of money wooing these physicians. Oh, we'll teach you. We'll teach. They don't teach them how to balance hormones. They teach therapy. But not only that, it's easy. They put, they sew the pellets in the butt or, and then they let them go. And they, okay, come back and I don't know what the turnaround time is, but. Okay, you would, you've seen that illustration of the cockpit for a man and the cockpit for a woman. And no. the cockpit for a man is an on and off switch. Right. And the cockpit for a woman is this vast array of knobs <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an aircraft. Right. And then, so you've got guys who have developed an HRT system that is like a light switch right. to them. And they think it's supposed to work for women. It's like, didn't they read Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus? <laughs> Apparently not, because it doesn't work. Yeah, it's like women do not work that way. Their brains don't work that way. Their bodies don't work that way. And their hormone replacement therapy does not work that way. It is an intricate system, and it is an algorithm. And there's a way to do it. And it's it's simple but complicated. Right. But And a doctor really has to be passionate about understanding what estrogen does to the mind and body of a woman. And if you've got a doctor giving you hormones as a woman who doesn't understand the natural physiology of the female body, I mean, and Tom, to be honest here, you don't have to dose estrogen in a rhythmic fashion to get to optimum levels if you know what you're doing. And if a woman doesn't have a uterus, you can't do that for all women. But you can get to optimum ranges if the dose is high enough. And so, like, if a woman doesn't have a uterus, you can titrate a weekly estrogen injection so that she doesn't use the physiological cream. It just needs to be done. But women with the uterus, the best way is the transdermal cream mimicking the natural physiology because the entire body cycles, too. Even high, high doses of a weekly injection of estrogen. It's just what those levels are. That that was, I mean, we we're coming up on the question about hysterectomy. So you, we're a woman with a hysterectomy. What do we, you know, what is that? These are questions from listeners. So uh, this is. Yeah. Well, you know, a hysterectomy, no matter when a woman gets it, is put in menopause. It's no different than chemical menopause or natural okay. menopause. It's still a pause. It's a state of ovarian dysfunction or no ovaries at all. And even if a woman has a partial hysterectomy and has her ovaries intact, they will shrivel up like raisins in a very short period of time if the uterus isn't there. It's like there's if there's no uterus, there's no reason for your ovaries to produce estrogen. So the manufacturing plant just ceases production. And then so the estrogen starts to really diminish. So even my doctor told me, oh, you're going to be just fine. We're going to keep your ovaries in. And this is going to be like, nothing happened at all. Huh? Hmm. That is one of the biggest lies. They should say, see, it, it, this, that is to me, it's like, that's not true. That's not true. And it's, there's lots of studies that support that. You take out that uterus, those ovaries shrivel up like raisins. And it just depends on the, the state and the health of the patient uh, at that time. For women who've had a hysterectomy, they're going to continue to go into a mental and physical decline because they're not able to produce adequate amounts of circulating estrogen. 
And they too can get estrogen dominant if they go to doctors who misdose their estrogen. Giving women the same dose of estrogen every day, same low dose of estrogen every day like that, triggers an estrogen dominant response. There's no way to properly detoxify it out of the system. And so, you know, now you're these doctors that practice second generation HRT, you know, some of them who have some sort of education outside of medical school are talking about the detoxifying process or the methylation process and the feedback loop and, you know, dealing with all of that. I don't know if any of them have ever had any success with it. Right. And, and yeah, you, you do need to detoxify estrogen, but if doctors really care about this natural detoxification process, they would increase the estrogen. So the estrogen does naturally. So it's just, there's just this exercise wheel of HRT medicine with this low dose hormone therapy and estrogen dominance and this methylation issue and feedback loop that doctors are running around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to figure out when this isn't even an issue if estrogen is optimal. It's not an issue at all. Estrogen is the natural detoxifier of everything. Well, when I say that it affects every function in the female body, I'm not lying. If no. it's if it's dosed right, right. You know, it's just everything is dependent in the female body on estrogen and adequate amounts to function. And so, women on low dose second generation HRT will get estrogen dominant. It's guaranteed, especially with pellet therapy. There'll be some well, pellet therapy. You have your your own issues where you're actually not given estrogen. And the high-dose testosterone actually further suppresses ovarian production. So estrogen gets lower and lower and lower, and FSH gets higher and higher and higher. And the high-dose amounts of estrogen are now, or testosterone are now signaling, signaling to the brain that the woman is really a man. So, and because these doses stay so high for so long that this is, a transition tends to take place that we've seen in a transgender clinic. Right. And, you know, you, and this is why I highly recommend against teletherapies right. for women. I, this is my personal opinion and a lot of other physicians' opinions who do advanced HRT therapies. I would not recommend that on my worst enemy. Okay, maybe my worst enemy because it's very painful. Right. I mean, if you really want to, if you really want to make a woman depressed, angry, miserable, erratic, angry, I mean, just, not happy with anything this is how you do it you get you load them up with a pellet therapy at from one of these pellet right. doctors they don't they don't balance the estrogen they don't even address the op, the estrogen issue and that's the main sex hormone in women it's like really it's like you know i use that analogy with the gas tank in the car it's like you know all these doctors keep trying all these different things to get the car to go right. uh, but nobody's addressing the empty gas tank so you give women healthy amounts of estrogen in the right method and in the right doses, then the body tries to heal itself and it tries to function by itself in the best manner that it possibly can. The brain, the behavior, and the body is crazy. Let's talk about a little bit about the uh, relationship between the thyroid and estrogen. And I mean, for people out there with thyroids that have been removed, you know, I've seen doctors give women uh, synthetic T4 when they say, hey, I'm not losing any weight. And they see it, you know, so out pops the RX pad, gives them a synthetic T4 to help them lose weight. But of course, if you, we, you and I both know if, you, if your 
liver is not functioning and your methylation process isn't working well, the, the T4 is not going to turn into T3. So it's just going to, you know, it's just not going to work. But what's, let's talk about the thyroid and the estrogen before we move on to progesterone and, and uh, other things. We see this a lot in the clinic. A lot of women will come in and say, okay, my doctor says I have a thyroid problem. And they may or may not come in on thyroid. There's a lot of symptomology of thyroid dysfunction with estrogen deficiency symptoms. And it's easy to get confused between the two. And if a doctor doesn't really know a lot about estrogen, they'll just assume those symptoms are for thyroid and they'll prescribe. And they don't know about, they really don't know, all they know is TSH. And so they'll put a patient on the thyroid whether they need it or not, without checking the estrogen. Okay. So there's some women that come in, women who have been told they have a thyroid problem who are not on thyroid. We check the entire panel. We check the, the thyroid panel, and we also check an extensive uh, hormone panel with estrogen, FSH, progesterone, LH, and you know, the testosterone panel and growth hormone and a few other things. And then we get a true reading on what's going on with all these things, including estrogen. Because estrogen does dictate thyroid's function. And so you can give a woman thyroid. So if, a, if this patient comes back with having thyroid issues and estrogen issues, depending on the severity of what's going on behind the scenes with thyroid, then the doctor would give the patient a thyroid medication in conjunction with estrogen if it's indicated. Because thyroid depends on estrogen to function, the more estrogen a woman requires, the more thyroid she's going to require. Like you can't just, when you adjust estrogen to the sweet spot, you can't ignore the thyroid. Okay. It's a thyroid problem. You can't, patient will have problems. So there has to be a titration of both along the process to the sweet spot. Um, a lot of doctors do not know this at all. And then some women who don't have a thyroid, and this is what happened to me. I was put on thyroid medication thinking that I had thyroid issues. We were just looking at the TSH, and there's about 40% of women are in this boat too. That once you get estrogen, balance your estrogen, then the thyroid symptoms go away, or what was thought is they were thyroid symptoms. And there's no need for thyroid medication. And so those women can get off of their thyroid medication because the symptomology was related to estrogen deficiency and not thyroid at all. So balancing hormones, finding a practitioner who understands how to balance. Thyroid and estrogen together is is a real find. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit. I've got a couple other questions that I want to hit, but how does a person go about finding a good physician or a female finding a good physician for HR for HRT? Well, what I tell my clients or, or my listeners, uh, my clients, I get them, I get them the practitioners for them, but I do, I tell them the things to look for in their language whether it's the language on their website, whether it's the language when they call and they ask the receptionist questions. But it's the mindset of the practitioner you really want to know. You want to know what kind of hormones does this doctor prescribe? First, second, third, fourth generation. You know, it's that's going to dictate what you're going to get in treatment. If you go to a physician who's afraid of estrogen or thinks that estrogen is causes cancer, and has never educated themselves to know that estrogen is cancer protective and that women are at greater risk of cancer when they become estrogen deficient, you want to go to the doctor that understands the impact estrogen has on the brain and body. 
if a doctor thinks estrogen is bad or uses first and second generation hormones, your hormone therapy may work a little bit in the beginning, but it will fizzle out and there will be this exercise wheel of conventional medicine constantly trying to treat the symptoms of your hormone deficiencies. If you go to a practitioner who understands the impact estrogen has, not only understands the impact of estrogen, but the value of estrogen, but more importantly, knows how to prescribe hormones that fixes the estrogen deficiency issue, not just merely dose the hormones in low static dosing to treat the symptoms of estrogen deficiency. You want to go to a physician who actually knows how to dose hormones that makes that crossover that the hormone dosing actually makes the difference in the brain and body. Underdose hormones, they, they don't really make, make a difference. It's just it treats some of the symptomology for a little bit, but never enough to actually change things in the brain and change things in the body. It gets the body to do things it's supposed to and think the way that it's supposed to. Only healthy amounts of estrogen does this. So what are some of the questions you'd ask a physician? Uh, what kind of HRT do you use? Okay. Which approach? Do you have any clinical goals that you're shooting for? Okay, good one. What kind of labs do you take? If the doctor takes saliva testing, you know that they do first or second generation. If they do blood spot testing or any testing other than blood serum, your hormones will be underdosed. Because you need that type of testing to microscopically see how much is in your body. Okay. Well, if you don't have enough circulating estrogen in your blood, to us, you don't have enough. Right. And when you have a doctor's mindset that says, hey, if you don't have enough estrogen in your blood, you can't feel good. Your body's falling. They already know what happens right. to a woman. And then these doctors who understand this impact, usually they try to go find the education or try to figure out how to get this woman the estrogen they need to feel good mentally and physically. And so that's why it's important to ask, you know, do you have clinical goals? We have clinical goals. You know, there's an algorithm. There's a clinical goal that we're shooting for. Symptom speaking, you know, lab work with lab work and with clinical indicators. So these women that tell me, oh, I've gone to this doctor and, you know, I have insomnia and I'm depressed and, you know, I have mood swings. But I love my hormone doctor. I'm like, okay, why? You know, because these, to us, these are clinical indicators. You don't have enough estrogen. These things go away with adequate amounts of estrogen to varying degrees, depending on the patient. But for most women, it fixes these problems. And so, you know, if you go to a doctor that says, well, we don't want to give you too much, <laughs> ask why. Why? All right. If they say estrogen causes cancer, well, then really, can you show me that study? Because I haven't been able to find it. I don't think it's out there. Well, you know, there are studies out there that indicate Synthetic estrogen causes cancer, but not even that, really. The dose just isn't, when you keep a woman estrogen deficient, she's just susceptible to cancer. And so if you give a woman estrogen, like if you do a study on if estrogen causes cancer or not, and you grab a pool of women, let's just say 50 50 women, and you're going to put on Evamis, and you do this study, the chances of you finding cancer is crazy. But if you do, if cancer does come about this, it's not so much the estrogen. The estrogen is just too low. It's not that the estrogen caused the cancer. It's just the estrogen dose too low. I mean, it's just, uh, there's just a disconnect 
with estrogen. I mean, doctors forget that high-dose estrogen was used to treat cancer. It's cancer preventative. It's just in so many ways. It's it's cancer preventative. Let me tell you how it prevents endometriosis, endometriotic cancer. If you have regular menstrual cycles that estrogen homeostasis brings, then the lining of the uterus is constantly being fleshed out very mechanically every month. There's no buildup, but this blood is, this lining is sloughing off every month because you have, you're ovulating. And to have a healthy menstrual cycle, you need to ovulate. And there's no ovulation without estrogen. So in order to restore ovulation, you need to restore estrogen. And when you're restoring estrogen and progesterone the way that it's supposed to, then the lining of the uterus sloughs off. So estrogen is a great cancer preventative tool for endometriotic cancer. Hmm. And women are more susceptible to tumors when they're estrogen deficient. In fact, there's studies on that. In fact, there's more studies that show how estrogen is cancer protective than there are that estrogen causes cancer. In fact, I can't find that study. I've looked everywhere. So if listeners know of a study that indicates that estrogen causes cancer, Send it my way. I'd like to take a look at it. Okay. You know, what is, you know, I want to see what is that dose of estrogen? How long was it? What were the state of these women? There's many questions to ask. But this was what, part of what started my research. I was like, how can these women, how can their brains and bodies actually restore and they heal and they get off of medications and their bodies, bone density comes back that they're no longer, they no longer have osteoporosis. I mean, when you actually see and witness these diseases, it makes me ask, why is everybody saying this causes cancer? Because in the 15 years that I've been working in a hormone-only clinic, we would have seen such a high cancer incident rate when every patient you have is on hormones. We're not like conventional doctors around town. Our practice, this is 100% a hormone clinic. So, and from what I see, and being a, the small town that I'm in right now, you hear about other doctors' patients getting cancer. And, you know, you would think that we would have a higher cancer, a, a breast cancer incident rate than any of the, the other doctors put together. But the truth is we have a lower. And that's why I started this is because I wanted to show we have a lower breast cancer incident rate with this. That's why I started Panacea Sciences, because of the diseases that go away, including cancer, tumors. When you see things with your own eyes, which is something as simple as adequate amounts of estrogen dose, right? Right. Diseases that don't exist. It makes me very hard to sit on my hands and keep my mouth closed and not say anything. Right. You know, I, 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 I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that a bit. All right, let's do this one. Post-menopause, are there natural ways to boost estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone? Well, not circulating levels. Okay. You know, you get the bulk amount of Women get the bulk amount of their estrogen from the ovaries. And once those ovaries have trolled up into nothing, post-menopause would be considered a life stage six in the life stage reproductive scale. This means that these women have been without estrogen for a long, long time. And to get their bodies, their ovaries have been shriveled up if they even have any. And so you're never going to get healthy, abundant amounts of estrogen being postmenopausal. 
and estrogen dictates the functionality of progesterone and testosterone. So most women will be progesterone deficient, testosterone deficient, estrogen deficient. The more post-menopause she gets, but the body, you have to think of estrogen and hormones or messengers that get sent throughout the body that tells the brain and body where a woman is in her state, her life stage of reproduction. And uh, when estrogen is low, that message throughout the body sends the signal that it's time to die. It's time to wither away, shrivel up, and go climb the mountain like they do in Japan and go die. And uh, because the body, brain and body just fall apart, and this is dictated by estrogen. This is, this is what women, there's a lot of women in post-menopause, and a lot of women spend two-thirds of their life in post-menopause. And post-menopause is really nothing but a state of decline, a continuous state of shriveling up to nothing. And that is not a happy place to be. And so, you know, it does not sound like a happy place. You couldn't, but that's why old women are hard to deal with. <laughs> and I'll tell you, well, the women, the old women with some fat on them do benefit from the estrogen they've stored in fat. Okay. That's why you see more, the, the larger, older women tend to be a little more jolly. Right. Have you know, but the old shrivel up woman at the same age is bitter and sharp and harsh and no muscle tone. No fat, no subcutaneous fat, and those women are harder to deal with. At least the, the, the heavier set women and menopausal women, you know, have some estrogen redemption. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of estrogen is better than no estrogen. Right, right. So you kind of estrogen, progesterone, estrogen pretty much is the, the, is the leader of the pack as far as the rest of the hormones go. Yeah, and I know you've heard me say this before, uh, the relationship, and I mostly talk about estrogen because you can talk about estrogen as the leader of the pack because it dictates how all other hormones function, especially progesterone. Okay. You know, they are to be looked at as one main sex hormone, uh, but when estrogen is deficient, nothing else is going to work, not even progesterone. But if progesterone is deficient and you have enough estrogen, estrogen will work. So, and progesterone doesn't t- dictate the functionality of the other hormones like estradiol does. Mm. And so you really need abundant amounts of estradiol circulating in the blood for progesterone to work the way that it's supposed to and to be the calming, supportive, and nurturing hormone it's supposed to. And so, you know, progesterone still, the jury's still out on progesterone. It's, it does have some temporary calming effects for some women. But it's it's still a problem hormone that needs to be adjusted and maintained and okay. attention to. And it's still one of the things that we're trying to iron out. You know, we've got most of the YD protocol clinical flaws dialed in uh, with some good clinical navigation with prescribing. But still progesterone. There's some women that still might get um, a little luteal phase lethargy or a cramp on their first day. Uh, but for the most part, those are really their only negative indicators um, if estrogen is right. So, yeah, okay. estrogen progesterone are like yin yang. They are to be looked at as one main sex hormone, especially if a woman has a uterus. You never want to give a woman unopposed estrogen with a uterus. It's questionable without a uterus, 
but especially with the uterus because you need that progesterone to maintain that healthy menstrual cycle. And you need that peak of progesterone in the luteal phase at day 21 to downregulate the estrogen receptors so women can properly uh, shed the lining of their uterus. Because hmm. if women aren't getting this, this luteal phase peak in their progesterone, they're not able to downregulate the estrogen receptors to be able to shed that. So that's also a contributor to endometriosis. And so the goal is to have a healthy, as you can see, me talking about menstrual cycle, the healthier the menstrual cycle, the healthier you can shed the lining of this uterus, which is dictated by estrogen levels, you know, the healthier a woman can be. She's in a state of a reproductive prime. The goal is to put a woman, take her from, you know, uh, life stage four or five, perimenopause and menopause, and put them in a life stage of three of reproduction and keep them there. And you do this with optimal levels of hormones indefinitely. So if you keep a woman in her state of reproductive prime having healthy menstrual cycles, her brain and body aren't falling apart because those levels, again, like I said, they're messengers. So those messengers are sending signals that this woman is in a state of reproductive prime, so she has to have enough muscle tone. She has to have enough muscle mass, not too much fat, uh, a wherewithal of her brain, cognition, the ability to think on her feet. The ability to have the energy to chase her small children around. I mean, all of these, all of this is designed for a woman in a state of healthy reproductive prime to reproduce and take care of her offspring. And so, whether a woman reproduces or not in this state, no matter how old she is, you know, when she runs out of eggs, she can't get pregnant. And you can actually dose these hormones to work as a birth control pill, where you lower the LH in the luteal phase, so she can't get pregnant. I mean, there's ways that you can do this, but actually. Our HRT system is a could be a birth control method. The intricate dance between estrogen and progesterone helps regulate these menstrual cycles, and both of these hormones have to be adjusted to optimum levels in the right amount and cycled in the right way, so a woman can have this healthy menstrual cycle. All right, I've got two more questions, then we can wrap this up for today, and we'll be back for another episode of the series on healthy menstrual cycles, which we'll cover. Again, in another uh, episode, but what can a younger woman do to prevent this chaos from happening? Well, younger meaning what, like uh, puberty through college age? Yeah, type? yeah, yeah, yeah. What I mean, I, one of the things that come to my mind is, you know, stay off the birth control pills. Oh, yeah. Young women are not really taught how to take care of their bodies or how or the significance estrogen has to their brain and body. And usually in this generation, as you see, and what we see a lot of, in fact, our clientele is getting younger and younger and younger. These young women do, are starting out with endocrine dysfunction. And their ovaries aren't able to produce uh, the amount of estrogen that it should. And so they have irregular menstrual cycles. And because they usually live with family who are dealing with their mood disorders and listening to the griping about the physical pain that estrogen deficiency brings to a woman during menstruation, then, oh, let's send you to the hospital. Let's go, you're depressed, you have anxiety, you have horrible menstrual cycles, or let's, let's take you to the doctor and put you on something. So these young women are put on birth control pills and antidepressants, anti-anxiety, ADHD medication, all this, all these estrogen deficiency symptoms that they're treating. Uh, they're put on all these medications. Well, the birth control pill further shuts down their ovaries, 
So they're really, now they're putting chemical menopause. And what young women need to understand is being in menopause for most of your life does not make a happy woman, no matter how old she is. And if you ever read the package insert, you probably look it up online for birth control, all the warnings and the side effects and stuff. All of those are all symptoms of estrogen deficiency. And what happens to old women when they lose estrogen? That's like being in menopause. But they don't say, oh, well, this pill is going to put you in chemical menopause. You're going to be in menopause. You and your grandma are going to feel the same. So women need to understand that the health of their menstrual cycle is going to determine the overall health of how they feel mentally and physically. If they stay off of birth control pills and stay off of processed foods, they stay off of the xenoestrogens and the phytoestrogens and the fake estrogen, that's a big plus. There's many things a young woman can do, and I'll talk more about those extensively in your next show about healthy menstrual cycles, but I'll be giving more detailed things that women can do, a list, Mm -hmm. a, a punch list on the things that they can do to do this. But you also have to keep in mind, Tom, that these women are born with ovarian dysfunction from the get-go. The chances of a young woman having a healthy menstrual cycle this day and age is slim to none. So these young women are already born estrogen deficient. They're not producing enough estrogen to even make it through puberty to be in a state of reproductive prime. So they go from a reproductive or a pubescent transition into a state of perimenopause, never really producing adequate amounts of estrogen. Like generations before us were able to. And uh, so the goal really is these young women may have to give them some sort of HRT long before they thought. Right. That's really what's happening. Oh, that's so pretty can- sad. I mean, I, I see a lot of young women get handed birth control pills because they have PCOS. Well, because I tell you something, one of the most debilitating conditions a young woman can have is PCOS. It makes a woman crazy. It's horrible. It's it's the high testosterone, uh, usually high progesterone, low estrogen. These women are not happy. They don't sleep. They can't lose weight. They feel just horrible for no reason. They can't understand why they feel so bad when everything is going. They have a good life. They exercise. They eat healthy. But yet they still feel horrible. And doctors are not taught in med school what to do with PCOS other than to manage the symptoms with drugs. And, you know, PCOS is a transgenerational disease. It is handed down. It's it's not necessarily something that a woman develops so much as it's something she's born with. And, you know, you can't reverse it. You can't get rid of it. You have to manage it. And, you know, PCOS happens in one, one in four women. Patients with PCOS are a more unique breed, and we put them in a different clinical category. Uh, we have categories of patients in HRT because it's complicated. Balancing hormones for a woman with PCOS is different than balancing hormones for a woman with endometriosis. There's just different approaches. When you endometriosis, you can get rid of endometriosis to varying degrees for most women, but PCOS you can't. It's something you have to manage. And you have to deal with the cysts on the ovaries. When you put a woman on PCOS, like doctors put women on PCOS on birth control pills, we put on hormone replacement therapy. Because women with PCOS are anovulatory. They don't ovulate. And when you don't ovulate, you don't have regular menstrual cycles. When you don't have regular menstrual cycles, you feel horrible. And so the quickest, most 
effective way to get a woman with PCOS to ovulate is to restore uh, estrogen, to restore the ovulation with estrogen. And then once you get the cycle functioning the way that it's supposed to and the shedding of the, the lining of the uterus shed, uh, and she's used to this regular functioning menstrual cycle, the depression goes away, the crazy goes away, the mood swings, because women you see as they're just, they are severely not happy. They have daily PMDD, not monthly PMDD. I'm talking daily PMDD, where they just have a very difficult time getting through their day. And the diet does play a big role with that, as well as their sleep hygiene and their, you know, their physical activity. So those are the four main factors how we address PCOS, hormones, sleep, right. exercise, and what are you eating? All right, last question for this day. And I know Dr. Nagel's a big fan of this also because you've mentioned it, but partnering with a health coach to help manage this and work forward to the reaching that hormone sweet spot. Yeah, I, you know, working in a, a, a hormone clinic all these years, we've hired, we've had uh, health coaches that we've trained on to, to be good health coaches. Um, there has been a health coaching movement over the years, uh, just recent past ten, five to 10 years, really. And they're very useful because the doctor can only do so much in their visit with the patient. The doctor's role really is to order labs, read the labs, write scripts for the hormones, but everything else is just not cost effective for the doctor to be spending the time that's needed to educate the patient about the diet. What, you know, why is it, why is it important to eat animal fat with hormones? Why is it important to eat with, or sleep when the sun is down? Why is it important to exercise and pump blood? pump blood throughout the system. You need somebody to explain to the patient the importance of circulating estrogen in the blood and what foods will impact the hormones, the optimal clinical efficacy of the hormones. Like my job in the clinic, you know, Dr. Nagel would see the patient. My role in his job was before uh, Dr. Nagel would see the patient for a new patient visit, then he would refer them to me to do what we called an intake. And then I would tell them the different types of HRT that are available and what the costs are and what they can expect with each method, uh, what insurance pays and what they don't pay. And then the patient decides what kind of HRT they want. And then when they go see Dr. Nagel for the hormones, then they come and see me after they see Dr. Nagel, and I walk them through the process of what they should be eating, how they should be sleeping, what they should be doing to help the hormones that they got from Dr. Nagel to work better. And there's, you know, there are diets and guidelines that we've seen in the clinic that help this happen. And it isn't just one diet and that you have to really understand your patient and where they're coming from and what they're able to do. Because an extremely estrogen deficient woman coming in is probably not on a good diet and not on an exercise program. And you really do need to work with this woman with her hormones and understand how the hormones are going to impact them along the process. So but you can't be cracking the whip on your patient who just right. started the first dose of estrogen, you know, and who's never moved. You might have to wait a little bit, a, a few cycles, for them to get enough estrogen in, in, the, in their system to be able to even have enough energy to be able to go out and do that or enough motivation. Estrogen is the motivator, and estrogen naturally increases energy organically. So women are just, 
you get more out of your patients right. when they have estrogen because and then if they have enough estrogen in their system when they do make these changes whether they're working out or they start incorporating yoga or strength training or cardio um it makes a greater impact on their body in a positive way in a more profound and prolonged way so when you start making this transition the health coach who's trained to be a clinical hormone coach it's an advanced like i am uh which i do I'll be uh, having my classes here real soon. You're able to not only coach the patient on hormones, any type of hormones, but also what foods to recommend and how and when to recommend these things and what this titration looks like, this process that we call the panacea process to that hormone sweet spot. Now, what do you do at this visit? What do you do at visit five? What do you do at visit 12 all the way to the sweet spot? And so Dr. Nagel loves working with me because he doesn't have to do you know he doesn't have to hire somebody to you know um he doesn't bring money in it's an expense on the office uh, to have somebody come in and talk about these things and so if you can hire a coach who's been trained how to do this like he needs more coaches he needs me to train more coaches i cannot handle uh, the patients that come my way and so if women understood how to get patients' hormones to their sweet spot working with a physician who does, you know, hormone, the right hormone replacement therapy or any hormone replacement therapy, um, it's a benefit for not only the patient of getting to their sweet spot quicker, faster with a cheerleader and to get there. You know, it's a benefit for the physician. They can just go through, see the patients for hormones and know that the coach that they're referred to knows what they're doing and they work in unison. And I also work with the compounding pharmacy with the hormones. So I answer questions and I'm the liaison between those. I'm the liaison between the compounding pharmacy and the HRT physician. And so you're having a having a health coach who understands hormones is, I mean, it's just, it's a big deal. It, right. it, patients get to their hormones, we've fought, and everybody wins, really. Marie, where can people find you? Well, they can find me online on menopausemoxie.com and I'm on Facebook under Moxie, Menopause Moxie. If you Google Moxie Menopause or Menopause Moxie, I come up. Uh, unless I've been bumped down, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're still out there. <laughs> you never know. And you can follow. And one thing I do want to mention, I do. I know I say a lot of things, Tom, that are, you know, you know, make some people mad. I hear it all the time. Uh, I, but I, there's a lot of studies that support what I say, and there's there's a lot. And so right. people say, well, do you have any studies? I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Send me my whole arsenal? I mean, it's like, and you're going to read them through and then decide if that's going to be your answer or not. Right. So um, what I did is I started a Facebook page called Panacea Sciences. And, and I'm not sure if you, I think you follow it. Um, yeah, I absolutely. All my studies, I mean, I've done a lot of research, and I have thousands of studies that that talk about PCOS, endometriosis, menopause, perimenopause, estrogen deficiency, estrogen deficiency diseases, estrogen, the gut microbiota, and menopause prevention, and so on and so forth. I post all these studies. I post anywhere between one to four a week. Lately, it's been about three a week. Uh, I do have an assistant that's helping me uh, schedule those posts. But this is where you're going to find your information. Nice. And you can hashtag if you want to know more about something. I do try to hashtag those pretty well. So you too can have access to these studies that I've come across in my years of research. So you can find me at menopausemoxie.com or at panaceasciences.com. Okay. All right. Thank you, dear.
Well, it's nice to see you. We'll be back for uh, the episode on healthy menstrual cycles. I put that away for a minute. I got to pull no, that. No, that's okay. I'll tell you, this this episode, this next episode is for these perimenopausal and menopausal women who have their daughters. Their daughters who are in this menstrual dysfunction. So right. really, this is really, even perimenopausal women, how to establish and maintain a healthy menstrual cycle is really important. So I look, I look forward to that show with you. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.